All right, we're up and running, and this is, uh, we, if you're wondering, if anybody's listening and wondering uh, about last Wednesday, we had uh, something else came up last Wednesday, so we weren't here doing, we were here, everyone was here at the normal time last Wednesday, not everybody, um, a lot of, we had more people than normal, actually, uh, so maybe everybody that's here was here. Lois, was you here? She was here. (laughs) So we had a wedding last week, and since Lois was the bride, I guess it's a really good thing she showed up. So this week we're going to be back in uh, the book of Joshua, and we are um, we're at thirteen, and not going to read all of thirteen, but that is your homework assignment. For anybody listening, and if you're going through Joshua, um, just always read all of this. There's a, there's a lot through these next several chapters that are going to be um, not anything you would ever hear a sermon on, but it's in the Bible, so it's important, and it's important for each and every one of us to read every word. So as far as doing a teaching on it, this uh, chapter 13 is... Let me read the first verse. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. Possessed. So there was still battles that had to be fought in this land, and as you go through all of these names and places, names of people, names of places, and you're going to see where they're dividing out. It's explaining what, how it was divided out on the east side of the Jordan for the two and a half tribes that were going to settle over there. Uh, the, uh, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And then, uh, as you go down through there, just, it's just all these fine details. It, just another proof that the Bible is not made up. It is a very, very uh, detailed book. And when you get down to 22, you will see Balaam also, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with the sword among them that were slain by them. So there's, there's the, uh, you know, making reference to where Balaam was at and how he died. So... Let's just go ahead, and it, it's going to mention how that the tribe of Levi was not given land inheritance other than cities to dwell in and the suburbs of the cities for their cattle and their substance. So the last verse of 13 says, But unto the tribe of Levi Moses gave not any inheritance, the Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said unto them. Now here we are in uh, chapter 14. All right, so uh, after explaining all of that, and um, you know, we're going we're gonna to be, as we get into 14, we're going to be talking about a person, and we're going to really get into the life of that person. So... As we get into 14, we pay very close attention how all this goes together. 
All right, so let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Father, we thank you for the time that we have that we can meet here on Wednesdays uh, to get into the word of God. Father, we, we, uh, we just ask that the Holy Spirit will help us to understand what we are reading and studying and also help us to apply it to our lives today so that we can go out into this world throughout the week and do the things that you've called us to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And these are the countries which the children of Israel inherited in the, in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed for inheritance to them. By lot was their inheritance, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses, for the nine tribes and for the half-tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of two tribes and a half-tribe on the other side Jordan, but unto the Levites he gave none inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, therefore they gave no part unto the Levites in the land, save or accept cities to dwell in with their suburbs for their cattle and for their substance. As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal. There we go. They're in Gilgal. That's headquarters. I always go back to Gilgal. And Caleb the son of, look at this name, Jephunneh. That's a, that, that is a Jephunneh name. Awesome. Y'all are laughing. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Anytime you see a Jephunneh name, you should giggle a little bit. So Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, uh, Kenazite, yeah, there you go, Kenazite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Now, of course, Caleb, and, and he's talking to Joshua, right? So those two are special, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. <clears throat> and, of course, he's going to explain a little bit of it here. Verse 7. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to a spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Notice that he didn't, he didn't say, we went in and we spied out the land, we came back, and I gave him what I thought, what I was thinking in my brain. He said, and brought him word again as it was in mine heart. It was something deeper than just intellectual. He believed it with his heart. Now, we can have an intellectual belief in Jesus Christ, or we can believe him in our heart and with our heart. Big difference, a very big difference. So we need to see that right there. 
Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed, that means it's, it's holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. It's not partly, but wholly followed the Lord my God. Now, we have way too many people who partially follow the Lord. We need to be like Caleb, and we need to be all in. All in. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be, be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. That is old. Now, I'm saying that with a smile on my face. Four score and five years. That's 85 years old. So, is Caleb too old to be president? All right, I'm going to pick on him. And would it be a wise thing for me to pick on him right now for being 85? I, you should always read on before you start picking on anybody when you're reading the Bible. Because what does it say right after that? As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. Well, I'm running. I'm running for my life right now. I just, I just said, Caleb, you are old. That's pitiful. You, you, you shouldn't be president because you're too old, and now he's, he's beating me up. i got to run away. He's just as strong as he was back when he was 40. Back in the beginning of his days when he was learning everything, and then he had all those years of living out what he's, what he's learned. And now that he's 85, it seems like he's just, he's just really getting good and started. <laughs> I think it was some of that fruit he ate when he went into the promised land a long time ago. Oh yeah, look at that. And I think he ate some good stuff over there. And it did his body good. And he's so... It, all right, uh, so he says, Yet as yet am I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. Now therefore, give me this mountain. What? Whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims, that's the giants, the people who had giants. The Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. And then notice what he says. All right, he could have asked for anything, but he's asking for a mountain that still needed to be defeated from a people who were monstrous. They were huge, that most people ran from. And he wants that mountain at 85 years old. He's like, give me that. I'm going to go up there, I'm going to run those people out, and if they don't leave, they're going to die, and we're going to take that mountain. And how is it, why does he have so much confidence? Why would he have so much confidence? 
And he says in, uh, If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. All of his confidence is in the Lord. That's where his confidence is. He, he doesn't have confidence in himself. He actually has confidence in the Lord that he is following. Does anybody know what Caleb means? The name means? Well, we're going to find out here in a little bit. I'm going to read uh, something to you out of uh, John Phillips' um, People of the Old Testament. And uh, I'll, I'll let you know what he says about it. So, and Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, who is the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, how I said it earlier, Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel, and the name of Hebron before was Kerjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. All right, so we've read all of 14. Now let's go, we're going to talk about Caleb. We're going to get into some details on Caleb. He was a grand old warrior. Remember, you know, we just we just mentioned his his uh, early years, all those years where he was he was dedicated in working for the Lord, all those years, and now what should be his weaker years, he had determination now. So he 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 made a decision a long time ago. In his waking years, you know, we all make decisions, some good, some bad. But if you make a decision for the Lord, after that you need to be dedicated to the Lord. And then as time goes on, you need to have a determination for uh, your walk. Now here's uh, uh, John Phillips. He says, Caleb was a very old man. The Jews divided old age into three stages. From 60 to 70 was the commencement of old age. From 70 to 80 was hoary-headed age. And a man over 80 was said to be well-stricken in years. Caleb was 85. About the time most of us have been on Social Security for 20 years and thinking about going into a nursing home, Caleb was thinking of conquering a mountain. Give me this mountain, he said. Caleb was a man who finished well. Notice that. He finished well. It is a great thing to finish well. Paul tells of his fear of finishing up his life as a wicked old man on one of God's rubbish heaps of being a castaway. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians 9.27. That is a healthy fear. Many people have started well but not finished well. Solomon yeah, you already knew that one's coming up. Solomon started well. King Saul started well. Lot started well. And Demas started well. Now, who was Demas? He worked with Paul, and, and Paul talked highly of him until in 2 Timothy, 
in 2 Timothy, pretty sure it's 2 Timothy, probably chapter 4. I, I'm, I'm seeing a verse, but I don't know if it's right. It might be 12. But anyway, 2 Timothy 4, Demas is, he, he, just, he departed from the work because of the pleasures of, of this world. He, was, he got focused on worldly things. Now, he was actually one of the characters that uh, I was going to mention this past Sunday, but I wasn't sure exactly what his downfall was on Sunday when I was talking about Esau. And uh, there was a, several, some of these same people were, were listed when we were, when we were talking about that. So that's Demas. Not a whole lot was said about him in the Bible, but yet because of not finishing well, and, and, and leaving what looked like a good Christian walk, and he left it for worldly things. He has, he's making it on these lists. The Bible, all through it, has uh, people who started well, but ended up as castaways. Now, you know, even when we were talking about Isaac this past Sunday, and the Sunday before, you know, Isaac started out so good... But then he got to the point when he was old and ready to die, he, all he could think about was eating the venison. He wanted Esau to go out and kill him some, some deer and fix it up real good. So even he looked like he was a backslidden person. As we age, we may become weak in body. The important thing is to be strong in spirit, strong enough to say to God, Give me this mountain. Let the novice and the weak be content with an easy path. Let us take on a mountain before we die. All right, so now talking about Abraham. When he was 75 years old, he left Ur of the Chaldees to become the father of all believers and to become known in heaven as the friend of God. Think about Moses. When he was 80, gave up shepherding his father-in-law's flocks to become the Abraham Lincoln of his day. See, he, he went down there to, sept, to take all those people out of slavery. And he also was the greatest lawgiver of all time. Caleb, at 85, when he set out to do battle with the sons of the giants, he, uh, he, he's going to give them a good whipping. The, something that the devil and all of his servants would not soon forget. All right, so those waking years of Caleb. It is never too late to take on a giant, but it is better to start young. Caleb started young, persevered in the perilous middle age years of life, and finished very well indeed. At a young age, he was filled with the vision of a new Lord a new life, and a new land. Now, uh, what, he, the way, what he talks about right here, I'm just going to explain it to you. And Caleb was born into slavery, kind of like all of us are born into bondage. The world, the devil, the flesh. So Caleb was born into that. We are born into that. Caleb lived under those situations, and he had heard about a coming Redeemer that was going to take them away from all that. And he was now the fourth generation, and he had heard about 
Now, now remember, Moses, he was in all of luxury as he grew up, and he was their kinsman redeemer, kind of like Jesus was in heaven, he was in glory, and he had to leave glory to come down to be amongst his very own, just like Moses was in luxury, had it made, but decided to leave all of that to go to be with his very own, and one of the first things he did was he saw the mistreatment of his own people, and he went out and protected him, and he actually killed one of the soldiers, or taskmasters, and then the next day, he was uh, being a figure, a type, and, and a picture of Jesus. He was trying to get his very own people to love one another. So we see this. And then he was rejected. Moses was rejected by his very own people, just like Jesus was going to be rejected by his very own people, and he left and went away, but he's going to come back again. And now Moses, uh, when he was 80, he comes back, and Caleb is, has witnessed all of these things. His redeemer, his kinsman redeemer, has come back to take him and all of Israel out of that bondage. And he's going to follow him because the Lord sent him. God Almighty sent Moses down to lead him out of bondage, just like we know the Father in heaven sent the Son down here. So we've been, and we've been looking for him, and he is, has delivered us out if we followed him out of there, out of the bondage of, of uh, what we were in as being unsaved. So all of that. All right, Caleb remembered there had been a stir among the Hebrew slaves in Goshen about the time he was born. His parents talked about it. And uh, so he, he, he had counted down the generations, and he's like, wow, this has got to be it. So that was his waking years. Now, the great... Dedication in the working years of life. Moses did return armed with might and miracle. Water turned into blood, dust into lice. Hail and fire fell from the sky. Egypt swarmed with frogs, flies, and locusts. Darkness and death visited the land. Caleb, Caleb learned what it meant to be under the shelter of the blood. He was baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Caleb gathered with God's redeemed people around the table in the wilderness. He went to Sinai and learned how to order his life. He drank from the riven rock and feasted on the bread from heaven. You see the parallel of our life as a Christian. Caleb learned what it meant to be put under the shelter of the blood. That's, what, that's how we're saved. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. Are we under the blood of Jesus? He was baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea. That's a type and picture of us going into our baptism, being baptized by the Holy Ghost and uh, believers' baptism in water, uh, cloud and sea. Caleb gathered with God's redeemed people. We come together as redeemed people right here, and we take communion. We take the bread and, and, the, and the juice up here. And he went to Sinai and learned how to order his life. We have the Old Testament. We have all of the Bible. 
that is what we learn from, and, how, and that's how we learn how to order our life, by following the word of God. And he drank from the riven rock and feasted on the bread of heaven. Well, we know that if we drink from the waters that Jesus offered, we'll never thirst again. And if we eat of his body, drink of his blood, then we're his and we're saved and we, uh, we're, we're good. So all that he did, Caleb, we do today as Christians. Then Caleb came to Kadesh Barnea where, as one of the 12 spies, he had a taste of the promised land, a taste of all that awaited him in Cana. One taste of the fruits of Canaan spoiled his appetite for the onions, leeks, and garlic of Egypt. You know, all the other people kept wanting to go back. They went, let's go back to all that stuff. At least we had water to drink. We had food to eat. But Caleb had gone into the promised land, and he had tasted of what was there in the promised land. And it made him forget about all those things in the world. After that foretaste, the vision of a new land and a new life in Canaan drew him onward. In the majority report... The ten, see, that's why you can't go with the majority. If almost everything you see throughout the Bible, if it came down to a vote, whoever had the majority was always wrong. No, never go with the majority in the Bible. It's always the least. It's always a remnant. It's never the majority. That's why a true democracy is a terrible form of government. And people, people will run around this country saying, we have a democracy, we have a democracy. We do not have a democracy. Our founding fathers knew the Bible extremely well. They knew it way better than anybody I know today. And they said a democracy, you have to be out of your mind to have one of those. Because they saw all these places where, right here at Kadesh Barnea, you have the uh, 12 that went out, they came back, only two shared the proper response. The rest, by far the majority, were wrong. So in the majority report, the ten carnal spies told terrifying tales of great fence cities. In Canaan, the spies had seen the sons of those giants, a, great, you know, a race of giants, and had seen themselves as grasshoppers but not Caleb. When others saw giants, Caleb saw God. When others saw cities walled up to heaven, Caleb saw cities reduced to rubble. When others saw a dangerous, dreadful, diabolical foe, Caleb saw only a defeated foe. When others saw only foes, Caleb saw fruit. Here's the title of tonight's message. It's the, well, the title is, Are You Focused on the Problems or the Promises? When others looked at the problems, Caleb looked at the promises. You know, and, I, and you, you've heard me say it over and over again, and I say it at the jail all the time. By the way, last night I was at the jail. We had a good time. Had a lot of people. A lot of people showed up. Um, prayed over a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of guys were going to court as early as this morning. And uh, we prayed over those situations, prayed over their families, prayed over... Marshawn, who had been to every single Bible study since I started going back after COVID. He'd been there every week, every week, and he's going through something right now, so he hadn't been the last three weeks, so we prayed over him. 
And I told uh, John, I said, when you go back out there, you tell Marshawn that we prayed for him in here, and we want to see him back. Um, but anyway, people, it's your human, you, as a human being, you always look at the problems. Uh, when the Bible tells you something that you don't see in yourselves, but it says this is true, but you just can't get it as far like like uh, Bible says the old man is crucified, but yet you're walking around in the same old body that you've always had, and it doesn't seem like it's really crucified. So are you going to look at the problem of your sinful ways in the flesh, your carnal ways in the flesh, or are you going to believe the promise? that the old man is crucified. You'll have victory like Caleb when you believe what the Bible says about you over top of what you see in yourself. So Joseph had said back in Genesis 50, as far as we're concerned, uh, 50-24, God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. When so many of his fellow believers grumbled, complained, fretted, found fault, and fought among themselves, Caleb followed the Lord. When he was 85 years old, Caleb could look back over the years and give this testimony to Joshua, I have wholly followed the Lord. Now here's where we're going to get to the meaning of his name. Early in the life of Caleb, he had to learn the lesson of positively trusting or positively trusting God. The name Caleb means dog. Now, I, I, I mean, that's what John Phillips says. I didn't look it up. I don't know. But I, I didn't know that. Caleb means dog. His father, Jafani, seems to have had a bitter sense of humor. So his name, is, his name means dog. Well, Caleb's lesson had a long apprenticeship. He triumphed over the derision attached to his name. He was going to make that insulting name a badge of honor. If I'm going to be called dog, he decided, then I'll be the best dog around. So, basically, what he's going to say about this is a good dog follows its master everywhere his master goes. A really good dog, when his master says this or that, the dog is obedient to the master, will go anywhere the master will go. So, Caleb was always looking to the master and wanting to please his master. So are you willing to be humble and think of yourself as a Caleb or a dog to be totally submissive to your master? You want to go chase the rabbit that way, but if the master says, nope, no matter how fun it is, he says, no, because that rabbit's going to lead you right out across the road, you're going to get smashed, right? God knows better. Your master knows better. And we want to be like Caleb and follow our master. Now, 
the weaker years of life. What should have been the weaker years of life for Caleb were anything but that. Caleb was determined that his life would end well. When we think of Caleb, we should think of the mighty Amazon. This is what John Phillips is uh, talking about, the Amazon. And, you know, that the Amazon starts with the trickle, but wow. As it goes and goes and goes, it's like a 4,000 mile. I'm going to go ahead and read what he said about it. The Amazon starts three miles high. Three miles high? That is very, very high. In the snow-swept Andes of Peru. At the source, the river is only 70 miles from the Pacific Ocean. Can't you just imagine? It's all the way on the other side of South America is where it starts in Peru. So, so it's like 70 miles, and you can see the Pacific Ocean. But the river goes the other direction, toward the Atlantic. But it travels nearly 4,000 miles across the width of the continent toward the Atlantic. In the beginning, a tiny trickle tumbles down a mountain and begins a long, eventful journey to the sea. The stream takes its time. Notice it takes its time as it, you know, just meanders through. It draws the water of 200 other streams and brooks into its embrace until it is a full-fledged river. Then it churns through mountain passes, burst with explosive force into the green wall of the jungle below, and becomes an inland sea draining nearly half of South America. At the mouth, that's where it empties into the ocean, technically where the ocean is. At the mouth, it's 90 miles across. That's what it says here. He says 90 miles across. So if you had a bridge that actually went that distance, it would take you an hour and a half at 60 miles an hour driving across the mouth of the river to get from land to land. When the Amazon reaches the end of its adventurous journey, it refuses to die. The power and drive of the river are so great that it floods the ocean with fresh water up to 100 miles offshore. You see the shark swimming along and go, <laughs> fresh water. Why is it all the way out here? Um, indeed, the current can still be seen 200 miles out to sea the force of that river going into the ocean, the fresh water makes it all the way out to 100, what did I say, uh, 100 miles. And then the current that is pushing the salt water out into the ocean, you can see the current for double that from the coast. That's the Amazon. Caleb was like the Amazon. At the ripe age of 85, he refused to consider for a moment that he had reached beyond hoary-headed age and was now well-stricken in years. Well-stricken in nothing was Caleb's response. <laughs> I'm ready to tackle a mountain. Retire? No way. Give me an untamed mountain. Up to now, I've just been in training. Now I'm ready to start. 
So he also has a, a, a section in here about George Mueller. I've talked about him before, but George Mueller, you know, he, ha he started with basically nothing. George Mueller had a heart for ministry. He, he had a born-again experience. He was over in England, and he immediately, you, back then, I, I'm trying to remember the date. I guess it was 1800s. I used to know. But anyway, you had to apply for, uh, to be a missionary, and the missionary board had to approve you so you can go on missionary trips around the world. George Mueller had applied many times, and he had been rejected over and over again. Well, maybe that was God's working because he needed George Mueller to be right there where he was, so he opened up orphanages, and it... Uh, Eventually, there were five large buildings and a considerable staff and 2,050 boys and girls in his orphanages. That's what it grew to. And uh, basically, he raised up these kids. Now, he spent a huge sum of money in his orphanages, uh, in Sunday schools, and all kinds of different things. He always pushed the money out to other things. He was always dirt poor himself. But the thing about George Mueller is he never asked anybody for a dime, for a penny. He, he, he never asked anybody. He always asked God. So when he needed money for something, he didn't do a GoFundMe. He didn't uh, put it, an ad in the paper. He didn't do anything to try to draw money in. He didn't have a, a, a tithing message on Sunday. You know, give money, give money, give money. He didn't do that. He just went to God and got on his knees and he prayed with all confidence that God was going to supply his needs for his ministry. And it always happened. And the more he saw God come through, the more confidence he had, and he prayed and got the funding that he needed. So after he did all that, when he was an old man, and he decided that he was going to go out and... Uh, um, do the missionary work on his own. He didn't need a board to approve him, and he just went out and did it. And when he was uh, 91, when he was 91 years old, he was still able, let's see, at 91, Mueller said, I am very near the end of my earthly pilgrimage. Still, I am able to work every day and all day long. I preach five or six times a week. I am unspeakably happy. That's what he said at 91. So George Mueller was another Amazon man, like Caleb. Caleb knew the fight ahead would be tough, for that mountain would, be, would, have, would have to be stormed. You know, that's going up. You don't want to fight a battle having to go up. You want to be on the mountain. That's the best place to be to fight a battle. Be up high. Get the high ground. He didn't even care about having the high ground. He's a military man. Any military person would not want to have that battle. But he's like, God's on my side. It don't matter if we're coming from the bottom or not. We're going we're gonna to have victory up there. So he had this all this life of being delivered out of Egypt and all the battles that they had fought. And, and, and whenever they were following God, they had great victory. Hey, they had learned that when they, when they forgot about God and tried to do it their own way, they had defeat, 
And by now, at 85, Caleb was like, I got this figured out. I, God, as long as he's with me, I'm going to have victory. So Caleb's philosophy was he was counting on the Lord's presence, he was counting on the Lord's power, and he was counting on the Lord's promise. He was an old dog now. He looked into the face of his master and said, if you're going up this mountain, I'm coming too. Faithful, reliable, steady, that was Caleb all the way through. Um, being not the fastest, but steady. Not overzealous, but just durable and determined. That's the way you need to be. Running the race. We're, suppo we're supposed to run the race. We're supposed to set aside all of the weights and the sins in our life so that we can run a race. And it's a, it's a marathon. If you, if you start out on a sprint, you're not going to get very far. Notice how he explained the Amazon River, how it's just slowly and steadily gained force. Uh, think of a bulldozer pushing through earth. Does it have to get up to 100 miles an hour and get a good running start to move the earth? It creeps along and with so much power. So uh, uh, Alan Redpath, this is back, uh, just think of Titanic times, you know, when the, those big ships. So Alan Redpath, who was a former pastor of Moody Church, was crossing the Atlantic on the, because he's from, he was, I think he was from England. Uh, he was crossing the Atlantic on the Queen Elizabeth, the world's largest liner at the time. A smudge of smoke on a far horizon eventually uh, revealed itself as the SS United States, the world's fastest liner. So just, just the, the SS United States was the fastest huge ship that would go through the ocean. The Queen Elizabeth was the largest in the world. As the fast ship drew alongside and passed Alan Redpath's ship, the skipper of the United States ship flashed a message to the skipper of the Queen Elizabeth. You're very beautiful, but you're very slow. Back came the answer. It is not meet for the royal lady to keep fast company. <laughs> so the uh, engineer on the ship took him down into the, the engine rooms of this mighty ship. And it was just amazing. The motors, all of, everything that was going on down in the bottom of that ship, the sound, the power. And Alan Redpath's like, well, these propellers must be spinning really, really fast. And the engineer's like, no. There is a point of, you could, you have, we have enough power. He told him, we have enough power to make them spin as fast as we want. But what will happen is you will end up digging a hole in the water and you will come to a stop because of the weight of the ship. It was, uh, uh, let's see here. I don't see the weight of it, but it was tons and tons. 82,000 tons. 82,000 tons of ship. So 
to push that much weight through water, if your propellers start spinning too fast, you end up breaking that what would be like traction on dirt for a vehicle. You, know, you can be spinning like crazy. Your wheel's just going like 100 miles an hour, and you're going nowhere. A ship would do the same thing in the water. So we need to understand that there's, there's, a, there's a steadiness that we need to have to keep plowing through this Christian walk that we are on. And we need to think about those things. Uh, we don't want to be spinning our wheels. That's a, a common phrase you'll hear people say. You're just spinning your wheels. And so he was, he was talking about all, how they, they have engineers that are continually calculating the uh, RPMs and the, the steadiness at the point of drive. The steadiness at the point of drive. That was the secret of that great ship, steadiness at the point of drive. That was the secret of Caleb's life. He wholly followed the Lord. That is also the secret of a productive Christian life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for all these illustrations that we can look at to make sense uh, in our life that we need to be steady, determined, and wholly following you. Father, when you lead us, when we follow you like a good dog following its master, Father, you have nothing but the best in mind for us. And Father, we need to trust you and follow you everywhere that you lead us. Father, I pray that we would be a people who would be loyal and dedicated to our master. Father, Jesus is the way. We know that. And Father, we want to follow him. Thank you, Lord, for all your many blessings. Father, I pray that we would uh, not focus on the problems, but focus on the promises. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.